Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm Eric Flickinger, and with me again this week is Dr. Greg King. He is our guest speaker, presenter on this week's Sabbath School lesson. We're delighted to get his insights once again on the book of Genesis. Dr. King is the Dean of the School of Religion at Southern Adventist University. He has also served as a professor for over 30 years and a pastor as well. We're delighted to have him back. Greg, good to have you here again. Nice to be here, Eric. Thank you for the invitation. So let's talk about week number eight. We're looking at the promise now. And last time that we had you here with us, we talked about the fall, which could have left us in a bad spot. Right. But... There was good news at the end of that lesson, and there's a lot of good news here in the promise. Talk with us a little bit about the significance of this promise, this week's lesson that we're looking at. Well, as I look at Genesis 22, which is one of the key chapters in this week's lesson, I've divided it in my mind into three terms that use the adjective greatest. Uh, The greatest is the superlative degree. It seems to me that Abraham faces the greatest test. God comes to him and and says, take your son, your son whom you love. And this is the first time, Eric, that the term love is used in the Bible. First time the word appears. It's like God is is making this request, this test that Abraham is facing, more exceedingly difficult. So it's the greatest test. How does Abraham respond to the greatest test? With the greatest trust. It requires trust on the part of Abraham, and as we will develop, on the part of Isaac as well. And then... What we ultimately come to in Genesis 22 is the greatest truth, that God will provide a sacrifice. And of course, we know that God has provided a sacrifice in the person of His Son. So what I would say, Eric, is that Genesis 22, this this chapter foreshadows the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And of course, we'll be developing as we talk about this chapter. So here we are in Genesis once again talking about Jesus. We find Jesus throughout the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And here, this is no exception to the rule, we find Jesus throughout this. On Sunday's lesson, we look at Mount Moriah. And uh, the reference here is Genesis 22 verses 1 through 12 and Hebrews 11 verse number 17. What's the significance of the events that take place here on Mount Moriah? both for Abraham and Isaac, but also for us. Why, what do we see here? Well, a couple of things that are worth noting, Eric, is there is a parallel with Genesis 22 and Genesis chapter 12. Remember in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And in Genesis 22, the Lord is testing him. He says, I want you to take your son Isaac to a place that I will show you. And some of the terminology that is used in Genesis 22 is the same as it was in Genesis 12. So we can see just as that was a test of Abraham's faith, so Genesis 22 will be a test of Abraham's faith. Now, you noted that the lesson on Sunday is called Mount Moriah, the land that God, the place that God eventually shows him where he is going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice is identified in Scripture as the land of Moriah, later identified, and this is what it becomes in Jewish tradition, is the place on which the temple was built, the Temple Mount. And so what you might say, Eric, is that this sacrifice of Isaac, the test that comes to Abraham, it foreshadows the sacrifices of all of those animals that will take place year after year as part of the Jewish temple system. And then, of course, those sacrifices 
we're foreshadowing the true Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I like how you said we find Jesus in the Old Testament. One writer said it this way, the scarlet thread of redemption is woven throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And that's powerful because if you look, you'll see Jesus there. This is one of the significant reasons why it's important as Christians to study the entirety of Scripture. I run into some Christians who talk about themselves as, or refer to themselves as New Testament Christians. And and while we certainly don't want to discredit the importance of the New Testament, it's incredibly important, we also don't want to discredit the importance of the Old Testament. And I know the Old Testament is something that you have focused on for, for many, many years, and you've taught a great deal on that. But when we take the Old Testament and the New Testament together, we get a more full, a more complete picture of what the plan of salvation is and where we are in the plan of salvation. Genesis gives us origins. It shows us where we came from. And when we're looking at the story of of Abraham and Isaac, we see a picture of what God wants to do with us as well. We're talking about this this sacrifice that that Abraham was asked to make, Mm -hmm. and that is the sacrifice of Isaac. Isaac has been viewed as as a substitute for, well, for Christ. But while that's partially true, I don't want to say it isn't true, there's more to it than that. Yes, I think there is. And isn't it interesting to note, Eric, that Abraham is tested over what he holds dearest in life? And and isn't it true when we think of some of the verses in the Gospels where Jesus says, he who loves father or mother or husband or wife or son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Sometimes we squirm a little bit when we read those texts, but isn't it true that Scripture is pointing out that that God must be supreme in our lives? In fact, according to the Old Testament, according to Jesus, that is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. In other words, our love for God must be supreme. And That's what Abraham is being tested over here. Now, it's true when he goes to to Mount Moriah and Isaac is placed on the altar, there are a couple of things worth noting about that. I think it's worth noting the faith of Isaac. Let's remember at this point in his life that Abraham is an aged man. He's a hundred when Isaac is born, and some years have passed since that time, and so If Isaac wanted to overpower his aged father and escape, he could have. But but he is willing to submit, to to trust that his father is following God's will. So I, I want to think about the trust of Abraham, but also the trust of Isaac. And there's a beautiful verse in Hebrews that helps understand what some people have seen as a conundrum or something that's difficult to understand in Scripture, because how when Abraham is leaving the servants behind... In Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, he says, I want you to stay here while Isaac and I go over there and worship, and then we will return to you. How could he say we will return? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham had confidence that God could raise the dead. If that was what needed to be done to fulfill the promise, God could make it happen. What a beautiful statement of trust in the living God. It's an incredible picture of of Abraham's faith, of Isaac's faith, and it should be a picture of our faith by the grace of God. When we when we take a look at at this this sacrifice, ultimately, of course, we know that Isaac wasn't sacrificed. God stayed the hand of of Abraham. He had demonstrated his faith 
in what God had said. But there's also a, another player in this. Once Isaac is saved, there's still a sacrifice. Well, and, and Abraham anticipates that when he gives that beautiful verse, Genesis 22, verse 8, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Eric, one time when I was working at summer camp, I had the opportunity for the Friday night campfire play. We were doing the Abraham and Isaac story, and I was Isaac. And I can tell you, it's a strange feeling to be placed up on the altar, and and the person portraying Abraham lifted a literal knife above me. And of course, I knew that he wasn't going to plunge it down into my abdomen, but it was still nice to hear that voice ring out through the intercom, Abraham, Abraham. And and we actually had a a lamb that we had borrowed from an area farmer, a sheep, and, and that was brought in to replace me on the altar. Now, of course, we returned the living lamb to I the I was farm. going to ask, but yes, it's good we, to clarify we that. We returned the living lamb. But in Abraham and Isaac's case, the wonderful news is, is that as Abraham lifted his knife and, and the voice of God called out from heaven, the Bible tells us Abraham saw a ram in a thicket nearby, anticipating the one that John the Baptist calls the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sometimes people say that Isaac represents Jesus, and in a sense that may be true, but let's note that Isaac had a substitute. You might say that Isaac represents us because we have a substitute. The ram took his place. The the ram was sacrificed in place of Isaac. Jesus was sacrificed in place of us. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. So here we are back in the book of Genesis again, and we see Jesus one more time. He is throughout the book of Genesis, helping us to understand why it's so important for us to, to look at the Old Testament, to get the, the depth, the, uh, the breadth of, of the plan of salvation. You know, there's, there's something that's, that's drawn out here, I think, on Monday's lesson about the translation of how God is going to provide uh, something. Why is that translation or, or variety of translations significant? Well, one way of translating Genesis 22, verse 8, when Isaac and Abraham are, are ascending the mountain, and one Jewish commentator said, Isaac is like a condemned man carrying his instrument of execution to the place of execution. Because remember, Isaac had the wood on his back, and he's going up the mountain, and he says, we have the fire, and we have the wood, but in a, in a way, Eric, this is the question of a lost world. Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham says, God, some versions translate it, God himself will provide the lamb, which God certainly did. But it can also be translated, God will provide himself as a lamb for a burnt offering. In other words, that God himself in the person of his son will serve as the lamb. And one other verse that's worth noting in Genesis chapter 22 is when the event is coming to a conclusion and Abraham names the place. In the Hebrew, it's Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yireh, meaning the Lord will provide. Isn't that the ultimate message of this chapter is God has provided a sacrifice in the person of his son? And that's encouraging, or at least it should be encouraging for us. When we see what's going on in the world right now, sometimes that can be 
discouraging. But God doesn't want us to be discouraged. He wants us to be encouraged. And our hope and prayer is that this quarter's lesson is an encouragement to you. As you look at where we've come from, we can better understand why we're here, where we are, and we can better understand where it is that we are going. And if you have been enjoying this quarter's Sabbath school lesson, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already done so, make sure that you pick up the companion book to this quarter's lesson. It is called Genesis, and it is by Jacques Ducan. We are encouraged by what we find in here, and we know that you will be as well. If you've been doing your lesson, if you've been watching these weekly Sabbath school programs, if you pick up this companion book, your understanding of the book of Genesis will be broadened, it will be deepened, it will be strengthened. And it's very, very easy to do. Just go to itiswritten.shop and you will find it right there. We're going to be back in just a moment with Dr. King once again as we continue to delve into the promise, looking at why the promise is so significant for us today, looking at why the promise was important all the way down through history and why it gives us hope in our present day. We will be right back. There's something I want to tell you about that is so important. It's My Place with Jesus. It is written's ministry to children. Take the children you care about to myplacewithjesus.com. At My Place with Jesus, you'll find so much that will bless your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren or the children at church. There are the My Place with Jesus Bible Guides. 21 studies that will take the children you care about into the Word of God. They'll learn the important things, especially the love of God and the sacrifice Jesus made for them. As well, take your children to journey through the Bible. It's there at myplacewithjesus.com. It's a special Bible reading program that will get children into the habit of reading their Bible daily and connecting with God regularly. So don't forget, MyPlaceWithJesus.com from It Is Written. Welcome back to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We are continuing with week number eight, looking at the promise. And Dr. Greg King is with us again. We left off the last segment talking about uh, Abraham. And there's an interesting statement in John 8, verse number 56 where Jesus says, Abraham saw my day. How in the world could Abraham see Jesus' day? Well, a couple of things, Eric. It's interesting that Abraham is the first person in Scripture called a prophet. And many people don't think of Abraham in a prophetic role, but the Bible in Genesis chapter 20 calls him a prophet. How did Abraham see into the future? How did God give him insight into what was going to happen? I like to call our attention to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 13, when Abraham has been about to offer Isaac on the altar. It says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him there was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering, and listen to the last phrase, instead of his son. In other words, in place of his son. You, you see this principle of substitution emphasized there in, 
And Eric, this calls to mind for me one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Just a beautiful statement. So it it seems to me that in what happens in this great event of Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is, is catching a glimpse of the plan of salvation. Abraham is going through something of the pain that would cause the heart of God to ache as he gave his only son to die as the substitute for a lost humanity. It's an incredible picture of of what was to come, and and for us, what has already come. Jesus has made that sacrifice for us. Abraham was looking forward in faith. We look backward in faith uh, to an event that really changed the the history of the world. Well, changed the history of the universe, really. This, uh, This particular week is called the promise. This promise that God made to Abraham was manifold. There were a lot of different elements, dynamics to the promise. Unpack the promise just a little bit more for us so we can see the the breadth and the depth of it. Well, I think you're correct, Eric, that there are various aspects of this promise. And in fact, the theme of promise is one that is important throughout the entire book of Genesis. But it seems that particularly when you examine the life of Abraham, there were three primary aspects to that promise. God promised that Abraham would would inherit the promised land, the promise of land, the promise of many descendants. Your descendants will number as the stars, will number as the sand beside the seashore. And then finally, the promise of a worldwide blessing through your seed, your descendants. The all of the world will be blessed. And what you discover as you read Genesis and indeed the rest of Scripture is that these promises reverberate throughout Scripture and I think, Eric, they have application to us as well. Of course, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that ultimately Abraham was looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So that's the same promised land that we are anticipating. The, the many descendants, the New Testament tells us, that, tells us that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, everyone who belongs to the family of faith is a descendant of Abraham. That includes you it includes me. That's right. And then finally, we read that through you, a blessing would come through your descendants. A blessing would come to the whole world. Of course, that's the blessing through Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. So those promises are for us as well. You know, all of these promises, God wants you to be able to, to grasp, to embrace, to, to grab a hold of. Sometimes in this world, in this life, we can get dis- discouraged, we can get depressed, we can get sidetracked. It's easy to get sidetracked, to get distracted. But if we can remember that God has made incredible promises to us, we can inherit those promises just as Abraham did to an extent and will in an even bigger, deeper sense in, in the very near future. Tuesday's lesson talks about the death of Sarah. Now, when Sarah died, you mentioned one of those promises was the land. How does that promise figure into the death of Sarah? Well, it lets us know that Eric living in this world requires faith. When Abraham's beloved wife Sarah dies, when she passes away, and of course that's a reminder of the curse that came about as a result of sin, that that death entered the world. 
his wife dies, he has to buy a plot of ground. He goes and buys a cave in which to bury Sarah. In other words, it wasn't land that he already owned. He's living in faith. He's looking to the future. He's trusting that that one day his descendants will inherit this land. In other words, he doesn't send her back to where they had originated from to be buried, but she's going to be buried right there in the promised land. In other words, this is the land that ultimately will be mine. And I believe in anticipation of the heavenly promised land. By the way, when you come to the end of the book of Genesis, you may remember, and of course, this lesson will come up a few weeks from now, but the uh, Joseph, who has lived most of his life in Egypt, gives a command that his bones are to be carried to the promised land. When the Israelites come, when God delivers them, takes them out of that land, he's to be buried in the promised land as well. So basically, this is the statement that this is the land, the land that God has promised is the land that belongs to us. This is where we are at home. And what my wish would be is that all God's children would recognize that we are ultimately only finally at home when we are in God's heavenly promised land. That's right. And it's, it's a beautiful picture of Abraham's faith. He's often called the father of the faithful. And rightly so. This is just one more aspect, one more element, one more example of how faithful he was. We move on to Wednesday's lesson now, and it's entitled A Wife for Isaac. When you look at the way that God worked in Isaac's life, you don't, you don't see chance. You don't see happenstance. What you see is that God has a plan. Talk with us about God's plan and how that's evident in this story. Well, Eric, I like to ter- use the term divine providence, God's leading in our lives. Now, it is true that sometimes that providential lead- leading is behind the curtain. Sometimes it's not seen. Sometimes it leads to challenges in our lives and, and uncertainty, and we're not sure exactly how it's going to work out. But as Abraham approaches the time when he recognizes that he will be passing away someday. He wants to ensure, because remember the promise was that God would bring a worldwide blessing through his descendants. He wants to ensure a godly wife for his son Isaac. And so he says Isaac is not to marry a a wife from among the Canaanites, but Abraham sends back to where their relatives are, and he wants God to lead and the bringing of a wife to Isaac. I'm going to be doing a wedding in a few weeks from now, and my emphasis on this would be, I want God to be involved in all of the marriages that take place. In other words, I want God's leading to be manifest, and husband and wife coming together, just as God's leading was manifest in Isaac and Rebecca coming together. So again, we're getting a picture here of, of God being in control, God guiding and directing things so that his will can be worked out in the lives of of people who trust him and are learning to trust him just as as he's doing with us. Yes, but Eric, one point that I would make that is important to remember is God's leading doesn't remove the freedom of choice that you and I have. Because even in the case when Eliezer, Abraham's servant, goes and, and he asks for a sign from God that the that the person who comes and offers water to my camels, this will be the person that you intend to be the the wife of my master's son, Isaac. And yet, even when Rebecca is presented with that narrative, and she's the one that has fulfilled that sign, they still ask her, are you willing to go and be married to this man? And so I like this as a 
is a wonderful example of how God's providence works together with freedom of human choice. In other words, God does not override our wills. God does not coerce us. He invites us in His gracious graciousness, in His love, to follow Him out of our own volition, out of our choice. So God didn't make Rachel make that decision. Or uh, Rebecca, sorry. Didn't make Rebecca make that decision. But He gave her the opportunity to exercise faith. And she did exactly that. She made the choice and moved forward in it. We're we're moving rapidly through this week's uh, lessons. We're getting to, let's see, this is Thursday's lesson, is a wife for Abraham. And Abraham's life kind of, it comes to an end. But he is left as an incredible example to us. What do we see in in the closing portion of Abraham's life that can encourage us in our walk with God? Well, what I see there is, again, this emphasis on the fulfillment of promise. Remember, God had said to Abraham that many nations will come through you. And so, obviously, we're prone to, to trace the Israelite nation through Isaac and the Arabs through Ishmael. But there are other children. After Sarah dies, Abraham marries a wife named Keturah. And so what the book of Genesis is trying to portray to us is that God's promises are on the way to fulfillment. Hold on to these promises. And that's what my message would be. The overriding message of this lesson is we can hold on to God's promises. God's promises will be fulfilled in God's time and in God's way, but we can trust His promises. I like the verse in Isaiah 40 that says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And hopefully you are grabbing a hold of the Word of God, and as you study week by week with us through the Sabbath school lesson, you're getting a deeper appreciation for the Word of God, a deeper appreciation for the plan that God has for your life. Because ultimately, He wants you to be a part of eternity with Him. He is, as the Bible says, preparing a mansion in glory just for you. And what a tragedy it would be if that mansion was left uninhabited. But God doesn't want that. He makes it possible for us to to inherit those mansions, those homes, those rooms that he has there for us. We're taking a look at the book of Genesis this quarter, and we've been looking at the promise this week, an incredible promise that was made to Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, through God's chosen people, and down ultimately to us in the last days of Earth's history. His desire is that we can inherit that promise, inherit eternal life, inherit the promised land that Abraham is still looking forward to. He has not yet inherited that final element of the promise, but it's not very far away. We look at what's happening in the world today. We look at the the increased doubt and skepticism that's going on. And as you've mentioned before, the things that are going on in the world today, the wars and the rumors of wars, the famines, the pestilences, Don't become discouraged by those things. If anything, be encouraged. Because Jesus said, this is evidence that I'm going to be returning very, very soon. Greg, thank you once again for being with us. We're going to have you back yet again for at least a few more uh, presentations. We're looking forward to that. And we're looking forward to having you back again with us next week as we continue studying the book of Genesis in Sabbath school. God bless you and we'll see you back then.